I wasn't actually listening, so I'm assuming she was introducing me. <laughs> I wasn't listening because I'm so um, erect in, in that worship, hey? It's like, wow, wow, wow. So hopefully um, this will come out coherently. Um, tonight I'm speaking um, a message if you were going to title it, I'd title it Kinsman Redeemer. Um, a few, it's probably a few months ago now, I had an encounter. Um, and in this encounter, I was underneath the, his wing. And in the wing, I could see that I was on the field. And he spoke so clear, clearly to me in that vision that he said, sit and glean under my covering or under my wing as your Kinsman Redeemer. And I just instinctively knew that in that place was all provision, in that place of intimacy that he was going to really unpack for me who I am and unpack for me where and how to glean more wisdom and more understanding. And so tonight is a bit of a deep dive into the book of Ruth because that's where I knew this um, encounter had come out of. Um, so I keep reading it and getting layer after layer after layer. So I encourage you, out of your encounters, if he pulls you into a book, linger there and get and glean all of that, what he wants to speak in that. And God was giving me this um, invitation to know him more, deep, more deeply um, as my own kinsman redeemer but also in that place of kinsman redeemer, really understanding the inheritance that was in, available to me in that place. And so when you um, unpack what kinsmen, like, you know, I, I know we probably already know this, but um, kinsmen, when you're reading it scripturally, is the closest blood relative or be beneficiary. And redeemer is the person who buys back possession of property or person that is lost or sold. So pretty straightforward, I guess, that kinsman redeemer is the closest blood relative who willingly regains possession of something or someone by repaying the redemption price. So a kinsman redeemer is able to redeem what was lost. And as, as a close relative, they're able to redeem um, the possession and the person as well. The first instance, I, as you know, any time you've ever heard me preach, I always go back to, you know, where was the first mention of kinsman redeemer. Now, I couldn't find kinsman redeemer specifically as a word, but in Genesis 38.8 was the first place I found it, which wasn't a great example, but um, then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. This was the first instance I found of the kinsman redeemer, where it was like this was a known thing that this is how you redeem back your family line. Anyway, bad example because he didn't do it. Um, but the point was that this was how the family name was preserved. This was how inheritance continued to get handed down from generation to generation. Now, when we move into Leviticus, we get, um, we, that's where we, I think it's Leviticus 25, yes. Um, every 50 years, as you know, scripturally, it talks about the year of Jubilee, which is this, the 
this on a grand scale. God set it up um, that in Jubilee that you would um, release back to the original our owners the land that was theirs and any of the possessions and also anyone that was enslaved was released as well. And so, so you've got you know, the year of Jubilee, but then you've also got in the midst of um, before you're waiting for Jubilee, God set up the next of kin, the kinsmen redeemers that were able to come in and play that same role. So you didn't have to wait 50 years for Jubilee to happen, that you could actually um, be looking for that, that, that redeemer to come in and um, take back what was rightfully um, yours. So that the, the name of, so um, they were preserving the name of the one who had died through the firstborn child of the wife. So that's in Deuteronomy 25, five to six. Um, and then clearly when you go through the scriptures, when I was kind of like looking for the threads of kinsman redeemer, we even find that even in the day of Jesus, that in Luke um, 20 verse 28 to 33, they, the Sadducees are asking Jesus questions about the kinsman redeemer. And so this was something that was looked for throughout the generations, looking for who was the one to redeem. Um, so it, for centuries it was understood. And so the people of God um, consistently throughout every generation, throughout, um, you know, all, for all time, were consistently looking for those that would bring the place of redemption because they understood the importance of holding on to namesake. They understood honour, they understood inheritance, blessings and birthrights, things that we don't comprehend at such a deep level anymore, they were looking for. They had their, their eyes gazing for who was it that was coming that was going to be the kinsman redeemer. So they were constantly aware and looking for those instances. And the when we're looking for the kinsman redeemer, we're looking for those years of jubilee because the people of God um, were not meant to ever be enslaved. They were not meant to come into slavery and remain there. And not only that, that God set it in place so that the widows and the orphans and those were, that were in need that were always then taken care of. He put in motion principles and things that would cause um, no one to ever to come into slavery and for no one to ever be in lack and for no one to ever um, not have an understanding of like their lineage and you know what, what's entitled to them. Everything was set up so that we would be taken good care of. We were never meant, the people of God were never meant to be in lack. So don't get me started on these globalist agendas and all the rest of it that are deliberately trying to enslave the people because they know these principles, if they're in place, the freedom and the fruit and the prosperity and the blessing and all of those things are available to the, pe you know, the people of God. So, so systems get set up in place so that they can put people into a place of slavery so that they are in lack and they are not able to operate in the fullness of birthright and blessing. So it means that all throughout history, the people of God before Jesus were actually always 
given a type in they were looking always for a kinsman redeemer. They were always looking for the one that was coming to bring that place of redemption. So Jesus comes and he's the ultimate kinsman redeemer because he redeems the people in a way that pays for all their debts. He marries us into the family of God. He restores us, restores our namesake, and then he moves us into a place of operating in all authority. So you can see like, you know, Jesus comes finally and the people had been looking all these generations for the kinsman redeemer. So I'm gonna unpack a tiny bit, wanna dive deep into Ruth. What time have we got? I don't even know what time you finish on a Tuesday night these days. <laughs> I'm usually watching from home in bed, <laughs> minding the kids. Um, <laughs> well, they are in my care, so technically I am minding them. Well. Um, so in the beginning we see Ruth, um, Ruth's husband, Ruth's, sorry, Naomi's husband, so Naomi is Ruth's um, mother-in-law, uh, Elimelech. Yeah, good job, that's what I thought. I practiced that one a couple of times, Elimelech, Elimelech, now it just flows off the tongue, but wait till we get to other names later, not so much. Um, he moves his family to Moab um, because Judah's in famine. So he then brings them into Moab and then he allows his sons to intermarry with the Moab, with the Moabs. And so keep this in mind. So I'm gonna unpack, there's lots of scripture tonight, but you'd, I'm not gonna apologize. Um, Deuteronomy 7, verse three to six. Um, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So he's giving parameters. Do not intermarry with them. Tear down anything that would set, themselves, set itself up with a, you know, as another God in, in your life. And yet we see him move his family then intermarry. And then it goes on to verse 12, and 15, 12 to 15. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. The Lord will keep you from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. Wow. So these are the parameters. He, you know, he's saying like, don't go after other gods, don't intermarry. Um, and why? For your own protection. And if you lean in and sit under the, the wing of the Lord, then you are going to be blessed and you are going to be fruitful. Um, because after all, they were God's uh, treasured possession. So he was saying, please, I'm asking you, 
this is the longing for my treasure possession to have an understanding of being pulled into that that um, place of worship and these parameters actually set you up in good stead if you follow them. So it shows that uh, Elimelech just did not have a full understanding or full trust in the Lord, that he wasn't in a place of obedience. And what did that mean? That he came out from under the wing, under the level of protection, and he... Um, what was removed from him was the favour, was the blessing and, you know, all that covering that was, that was his for the taking. It was his birthright. It was the blessing that was available to him and, and is available to us. So it's not a type that's like, you know, just Old Testament. This is like the substance of what's available when we understand that arc reality of what we can enter into. So you see Naomi's husband then dies and then both the sons die. And so you're then now left with um, her two daughter-in-laws, one of which stays in Moab. And then you see Ruth cling. It says she clung to her mother-in-law. And then in Ruth 1 verse 16, it says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So she clings for dear life because she, she's, she's a woman of great kindness, of love, of loyalty, and she's a woman that is in pursuit of knowing Naomi's God. So she doesn't wanna turn aside from there. And so, you know, she sets her face like flint, and I think it's um, just such an invitation for us to come into that similar, like that pull for, um, just, God, I, I won't, I'm going to cling to you. I'm not moving. I'm going to die. Like it even goes on to say, you know, I will die where you're buried. Like that sense of like, you're my everything. I am going to follow. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to love that place. Um, and it's going to lead me into the fullness of what he has for me. She couldn't be persuaded. So they both return back home, well, not her home, but, um, and this is how Naomi articulates her station now. She says in Ruth 1.21, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So Naomi's name means my delight. But when she comes back into Bethlehem, she comes back and she says, um, she renames herself Mara, which Mara means... um, bitterness. So because the Lord has dealt with her bitterly, she named her, renamed herself um, Mara because she understood in, in the principles of, of God that um, there is consequence to stepping outside of that covering, stepping outside of that, um, that protection and stick, you know, pulling out from underneath the, the wing. But now Naomi goes, the longing is for my homeland. The longing is for my Lord. The longing now is to sit and trust his provision and again, trust um, for his leading in this next station of my life. So Ruth 2 verse 1 to 3 says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain following one in whose eyes I may find favour. She said to her, go my daughter. So she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one of the family of Elimelech. This isn't just a happening, even though it says happened. Um, God leads Ruth directly into that field and into incredible favour. And the reason is because she had grown already so much in favour with the Lord by the way she had treated Naomi as a widow and the way that she'd postured her heart already to follow after the Lord. So now out of that favour with God grows favour with man. So then you see in Ruth 2 verse 8 to 9, Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on on from this one, but join my young women here. Keep your eyes on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have ordered the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So he says to her, keep your eyes on the field which they reap. In other words, be alert, be looking, be ready. I likened it like um, to the Israelites in the desert, like look for my pillar, look, f- uh, you know, you're looking for the cloud, you're looking for the fire. You're looking for the alertness of like, okay, if that's moved, I'm out of here. So he's saying the invitation from Boaz is just look for where the girls are in the field and be be quick to pivot, be quick to go, okay, now that's where I need to go. Why? Because that's where the Lord's covering and protection and provision was. So always being ready. I cannot be all, and this is, you know, the other thing is that Boaz couldn't be all she needed in that season if she wasn't looking for him. So don't set your eyes on another field, particularly in this season. The appeal of the world, um, you know, there's so many options that can try to pull us into other fields. So we just can't drop our gaze and our guard in this season. Um, We have to be alert. No sleepy time in this, you know, in this era that we're currently in. We've got to really stick close to his heartbeat, stick close under his wing. And sometimes we, you know, have this perception, oh, I won't be pulled into another field, you know, because I'm in pursuit of God. But I'm talking even, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, like other fields, is that even just that lure of a field that promises peace and safety or provision um, in a way that, you know, oh, well, that'd be great to have that finance, but he might not be in that. So what if food does become scarce in this next decade, that's, that the scarcity becomes a reality? What the enemy wants to do is pull us onto a field that would call us to go out of fear, I come onto a field um, that is looking at as scarcity and therefore my self-preservation. 
So out of that field, you glean wisdom for your own self-preservation. It might look like hoarding. It might look like, you know, whatever it might be. But it's birthed out of fear. It's birthed out of a field that doesn't have the wisdom and counsel that he has for you. But if he pulls you into a field that he just says, I want to pull you into this field to glean under my wing where I'm actually going to show you what it looks like, that my provision would be so incredible that you would um, come under a Joseph anointing to be able to um, have understanding about the provision, not just for yourself, but for the scarcity of others, you will come into having blueprints to be able to provide for those not just, you know, some, somewhere like this, but also for others. Because that, that, that's the field that he's calling us into. So when I say, you know, don't be lured by a field, um, you know, we're not gonna all run, you know, hard in the other direction away from the Lord. Majority in this room are like, I'm solid going after his provision. But I'm talking about the fields that feel a, a bit of a lure to it because that fear pulls. It pulls you into a field that is like, has lack in it because you believe that he won't be able to provide for my needs and for the provision far bigger than that. So the more we're able to to discern in this season what field he's pulling you onto, the more kingdom solutions we're going to have to be able to um, see his kingdom come on earth that we're meant to be the ones, the light bearers that everyone comes, you know, flooding in because they know that there's solution there. We don't want to be an Elimelech who in the hard times fled. He left the promised land and he fled. We want to be the ones that in that place of hardship, because you know, we do know that there's some level of hardship that's, that's upon us, already started, is that we know then if we sit in the right field and we sit under his wing that the provision is there. And like Ruth, we need to be alert to the moves within the field. Be alert and ready to pivot. So don't camp out and then find that the provision dries up. Look for, okay, that, that's on the move now. So Ruth 2 verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favour in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now foreigner is an alien, unknown or a stranger. So a foreigner didn't know or didn't operate in favour in the same way. They didn't understand um, the level of blessing and birthright that the Israelites did. And an alien, as you know, is like doesn't, have an, doesn't have citizenship. You don't understand the language. You don't understand the culture of the kingdom. So what I'm saying is that you, you can't actually circumvent um, process in that you can't go from foreigner to the owner of the land without actually the process of coming in to know that I am now a citizen of heaven and what that means now that I have authority. So there has to be process of like coming, sitting under his wing, leaning from him uh, an understanding of your sonship so that we can start to then out of that authority and knowing a citizen of heaven that you're releasing the kingdom. 
we're meant to make here look like there. So Ruth understood that she wasn't one of them by birth, but then enter kinsman redeemer. So Boaz, in Ruth 2, verse 11 to 12, Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now she sees herself in a different light. She's seeing herself as a foreigner um, and God and Boaz are seeing her completely differently. They're looking at her and they're honouring her faithfulness and their um, faithfulness to Naomi, but also faithfulness to God. And we start to see um, what we need to start to see is that we need to have a recognition and understanding of how God sees us like you know, a Boaz in our life, we need to start to see um, in his reflection as opposed to uh, in our own understanding of who we are. Now, the other thing about Ruth was that she s- sat and she was gleaning already before she had any of these conversations. She was faithfully picking up the smallest She's gleaning in the field and she's picking up the smallest amount of grain just faithfully. So then what does God do through Boaz? It says, Ruth 2, 15 to 16, when she got up to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also you are to purposely slip out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it so that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Guys, this is such rich symbolism of what God does when we are faithful with the little. And I know it sounds, you know, and that he can bring that increase. Now, I know it sounds like quite cliche, but it really is that, you know, don't, um, don't despise the days of small beginnings. You know, whatever he's doing in you right now and the things that you're gleaning, this like even if it's the smallest of grain and there's the breadcrumbs along the way, it's like don't, don't despise those small beginnings. Don't despise the things that like have been left behind that you're just picking up in this season because it's actually accruing to you just this faithfulness and favour with the Lord. So wherever it is that he's called you, tuck up underneath that wing of his refuge because he is our plumb line. I know Maddie preached an incredible message about plumb line um, a few weeks ago, but the closer we get tucked up underneath those wings, the safer we are. No matter what you're caught into. I remember in 2000, I think it was seven or eight, um, the Lord had been speaking to me for years about going to Africa. And then I was like, you know, really leaning into what fields, so to speak. And he said, I want you to go to Kenya. And at that time, they just finished all the rioting. There was like, it was pretty much genocide. They wiped out, um, you know, many of the villages had been wiped out. And so the Lord calls me to Kenya. Um, But I knew that it was the word of the Lord. And so I knew that the refuge and sitting under that wing, there was going to be every provision. One, their finance was there. And two, the right connections were there. And three, the protection. I mean, I sat on a bus 
Um, I won't go into all the detail, but I sat in the back of a bus while someone was trying to find a taxi for us to get to the next place because this bus wasn't going to take us directly there. So he left me on the bus, um, not speaking, you know, most of them, because it was right out, very, very remote, so not where, you know, any white people are. So I was stood out quite a bit. Um, and I remember the, the Lord... It's just, he's overshadowing. I remember the wing. I remember just going, okay. But it came over me so strong that I knew, okay, what's this about? And the two guys got onto the bus and I could hear them talking. And it was like I could, you know, interpretation of tongues. And I knew that they were going to try and take my bags. I just, I knew that there was something up and they were plotting and planning. Um, And then all of a sudden they get got spooked and they got off the bus and then the guy who went to find the taxi literally comes and you know gets back on the bus and it's such a prime example I mean we've all got these examples but an example of like you know single white female in the middle of a you know the remotest African village in in Kenya and I can feel the untoward you know intentions at the front of this minibus and the Lord just, uh, the wing I felt before I, I knew what was afoot. So the protection's there, the refuge, the knowing that the provision's there for a way out when we sit in that place of like, I'm going to sit on your field that you've called me to, as opposed to I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to head into this field. It's like really sit close, sit tight to where he's calling you to. And under his wing is the place where he also speaks our identity, who we are, that whisper, like when you're tucked in under, you know, that's the heartbeat, like you're hearing what his heart is for you. And from that place, we go from foreigners to sons, the technon child, to the weos, mature sons of God. And the mature sons are the ones that have come into understanding of just all authority is given to me. That's what we're moving into. But we don't do that away from the field or away from under his wing. So we know that we're the favoured, blessed and protected ones with every provision, partly because even just reading Deuteronomy 7 tells us so. But there's promise throughout the whole Bible, but I'm just pulling out just the scriptures that I pulled out tonight. Now, Boaz says to, um, to Ruth that she can't glean anyone where else. So, wow, this is such a type. Don't glean anywhere else. Boaz has moved her in and brought her in close to protect her. And he knew that if she went into other fields, that lure of potential riches and other young men um, meant, though, that there was threats to her life, um, potentially threats to her, you know, any of the well-being and her place of rest. But also, the threat came then on her namesake and her lineage. Generationally, if she'd stepped into any other field, we wouldn't have the lineage that we have out of Ruth. So stepping onto another field is pulling away from scroll. 
So God calls us into His field, knowing that we can choose from any field to find provision if we wanted, just like, you know, um, Ruth. But like, like Boaz, he knows that the riches are only contained within his field rather than any other worldly field. So we might look at other fields and go, that looks like a bumper crop. Wow, bumper crop over there. Um, but that doesn't mean the protection lies there for you. Doesn't mean that the wisdom and counsel is gonna sit in that space if that's where you tuck yourself under. And it might not mean favour in that field either. So, so many things appeal to us and we just need to really be attuned to his ear. So you're looking for God and where you want to need to glean from. I mean, I've got so many examples of like just the way, like he doesn't pull each of us onto the same field. Like even just with the governmental stuff, like I'm seeing God make a way for so many people within the government mountain and not one pathway is the same. Because he says, no, 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 if you, if you look as that as my formula and my type, then you're not gonna actually find the full alignment to where I have you going. So even that spirit of competitiveness or spirit of like a fear of lacking out, um, missing out and then, you know, because I feel like I'm in lack comparative to that field. And the Lord just like, no, like you stick with your field. Because you might have likened it to this, is that an entire region, just say representing you know, a government mountain, entire region, um, they're all growing wheat. But that doesn't mean that you're called into any wheat field. Oh, it's all wheat, it's all one and the same, let's all just head into a wheat field because we'll just you know, serve there and we'll get harvest. Now God's very specific in what field are you gonna glean your wheat from? So know that, knowing that there's no lack in him, you then know that I am gonna stick real close onto the field that he's called me to be in because that's the protection, that's the provision. Anything else is, is you can still get there in a in, you know, roundabout way sometimes, but it's not gonna bear the same fruit. It may not prevent, you know, have the same timings. Um, so it's super important that we stick in there under his wing. And the only formula is him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So if you're looking for formulas of how to make your way, he is the only formula. And he's still, even in that formula of tucking in under his wing, it's still gonna look different to the other person tucked in under this wing. So keep your gaze there and realise that there's never, ever, ever lack in him. So he's transitioning us into those mature sons that are gonna recognise that I'm joint owner of this field. That's a big deal. Because from there, when you have recognition as a true son of your inheritance, and I'm now the, you know, able to then rule and reign from this place, this is when we see his kingdom come. 
So look out for his leading for the field you're meant to be on. And remember that (laughs) any other field, Boaz couldn't be a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And if she'd gone on to any other field, she was likely going to remain a maid and a slave for the rest of her life with no inheritance. So it's the kindness of God that redeems Elimelech's family line through Boaz. His goodness to sit his lineage back up into the gate of leadership. He says to, in Ruth 3, 10 to 11, then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young, other young men and whether poor or rich. So now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you whatever you say. For all the people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. He wasn't just giving her a thumbs up. Yeah, sweet. He's saying that you're a woman of excellence and the whole city knows it. This is the faithfulness of Ruth. This is the reputation in which she had because she'd fully given over herself to be um, the, you know, everything to Naomi and everything in the pursuit of the father's heart. So when they say excellence, we're talking, we're breaking down that word, it's encompassed strength, might, efficiency, ability, army, wealth, and substance. This is what he was saying of Ruth. This is how I perceive you. So she'd proved her kindness, time and faithfulness, time and time again. And she obviously tucked in under that wing, not chasing after men, not chasing after any other means. And she gets married into family. God redeems her, restores all things and the lineage and inheritance. For time's sake, I won't read this one. But then he, um, you know, Boaz then, he, he does what the kingdom and redeemer is meant to do and he redeems that family line. So Boaz was the type of Christ. He was a shadow of things to come, that there was a means for complete redemption a kinsman redeemer who could buy back all your inheritance, restore your name and authority in the gate. So keep an eye on the field. So Ruth 4 verse 11. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrath (laughs) and become famous in Bethlehem. Didn't practice that one clearly. Um, So Boaz and then Ruth 4 verse 13 to 14. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he had relations with her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive and she, had, she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. They start decreeing and prophesying. I hadn't seen all of the, you know, I hadn't dug down on this before, but they start to decree that Ruth, um, would be like Rachel and Leah that built the house of Israel, which that decree becomes 
I mean, obviously the fulfillment of that is that the seed of Jesus came from Ruth and Boaz. So God, you know, in their decree, this is exactly what was risen up out of that line. And their decree to Boaz would be famous in Bethlehem and Israel. So in that um, time when he lived in his generation, he, he was known as, he was famous for his love, his redemption, his um, role as a kinsman redeemer. But track with this. So we move to 2 Chronicles 3.17. He erected the pillars, this is Solomon, in front of the temple, one, of the right, one on the right and one another on the left and named the one on the right, Yaquin, and the one on the left, Boaz. So four generations later, Solomon establishes the house of God and he sets up and names two of the pillars. So Joaquin means he will establish and Boaz, which we obviously know represents a type which is kinsman redeemer, but it also means in him is strength or strength is in me. So when you put those two pillar names together, he will establish the one in whom is strength. So the decree came out that you would be famous in Bethlehem, that you would be famous in Israel. And the Lord establishes that pillar named Boaz for all time. A pillar of the Lord risen up and famous for all time, not just, because, you know, just, not just the pillar, but also the seed line of Jesus. So he's risen up as the pillar and he's also the one who Ruth was able to rely on. He was a pillar to her and a kinsman redeemer to her. He's a type, but now also a famous name throughout history because of the lineage of Christ. And when we move into Revelation 3.12, it says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, I wasn't gonna to touch on this part of the message until I read through that and I was like, wow, that's quite, you know, and you could feel the substance and significant, but I didn't, you know, I always then go on multiple tangents. Anyway, still went on the tangent after all, but the, I know that this is significant in this part of the message because when I decided that, yep, I'm pretty sure that I'm gonna just talk about the pillar a tiny bit, was that, I went into Ash's room, he plays um, the audio Bible every night to go to bed. Um, and he, you know, he screams out if it's not on, can you put my audio Bible on? Um, but anyway, uh, one night he had it t too loud and I'd woken up in the middle of the night and it was just like, gosh, that's loud. So I went in to turn it off. And the moment I walked into the room, not knowing where he'd started it from, it was 2 Chronicles 3.17. And, it taught, and obviously that was the pillar about Boaz and Boaz. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Okay. Um, and then um, just a couple of days later, I flicked open, someone had given me a calendar um, with pictures of Israel and I'd flicked it over because I was about a month behind, flicked it open and it was um, a picture of Solomon's pillars. And so 
So I do want to land on this because obviously it's very important aspect for us to have um, to understand as well is that we are not looking for any fame here. We want to be famous in heaven and to be risen up as pillars of the Lord like Boaz, like Ruth. Boaz was faithful, loving, kind, obedient, reliable, strong, and understood kingdom principles. It made him a true pillar, seeking after the Lord. So when we talk about overcomers, so what does it mean? Overcome, to subdue, conquer, overcome, prevail, and get victory. We're meant to be that. We're meant to be the overcomers that get the victory and from that place of victory arisen up. And when it talks about pillow, it's not just talking about a column. It's used of persons of authority, influence, or a support. Something that holds something up. Now, clearly, the temple could be the dwelling of a deity or used figuratively of individuals. So those that overcome, so this is the scripture from Revelation, those that overcome the hour of his testing will be risen up as pillars. Load-bearing, we're meant to be load-bearing. We're meant to carry weight. We're meant to um, be able to host the presence. We're meant to represent him well. We were in such extraordinary days that um, we had the ultimate kinsman redeemer in Jesus who redeemed us, adopted us into his family, paid our debts, gave us all authority to rule and reign with him in heavenly places. Rule and reign, we're meant to. That's the pillars that we actually move into that place of maturity where we actually have an understanding that I wanna be risen up, I wanna be such an overcomer that that there's load bearing um, in who I am in Christ because I sat under his wing and I sat in the right field. That we're not, um, that we're able to see that from that place of risen up as a pillar, because I've overcome in that place of testing, is that um, you are then the bringer of kingdom, the heaven on earth. It doesn't come external to us. You've got to start to see yourself as that mature son who now owns the field because he gave it to you as your inheritance to then go, okay, if I, it doesn't mean now I have ownership, so therefore now I run away from under, sitting under his wing. No, you say he's tucked up under that wing, knowing that this is my field. It's just an attitude change. It's not like, okay, where is me? I'm a foreigner, I'm sitting under your wing, and can I please have the leftover bits? No because you've now moved into maturity where it sits underneath the wing in that place of refuge and that place of gleaning is wisdom because you're like, okay, sitting at, okay, what are we doing with this field now? How much more bumper crop can we have? Which field do you wanna move into next? How do we wanna make it grow? How do we make it wanna prosper? How do we bring in for the kingdom, um, for the kinsman redeemer to come into the field for more and more to come into that place where they sit and understand that their, their place is under the wing as well. That the field has every provision for them if they had an understanding. We're meant to be the solution for the world. 
And if we don't move from foreigner, then we won't be the solution to the world. Ruth moved from a place of foreigner to owner of that field, heir. And then she thought generationally. It's like the offspring and the generations behind. We've got to stop thinking just, you know, our here and now, but starting thinking about the generational blessing that you want to pass on, the inheritance that's available in and through your, you, you know, not just seed as in the, um, you know, who you give birth to, but your seed, your offspring, what, what are the fruits and the, um, you know, wisdom will be known by her children. What children are we giving birth to? It's a, an exciting invitation. So out of that encounter came just that desire to know, God, can I tuck up even closer and can I um, be always on alert for what field you want me to glean from and how you want me to glean? And may you just get a hold of my heart in such a way that my identity and sonship is so growing in maturity that I safely will be able to say, risen up as a pillar in the temple of the Lord. Doesn't everybody wanna hear that? At the end of, end of your life, you wanna hear. Risen up as a pillar. Think about your generational legacy. What legacy are you gonna leave? How does he wanna raise you up as a pillar? and not see yourself as foreigners anymore. I'm excited. I'm excited for what he's gonna do. I'm gonna pray for anyone who wants to, actually, I'm just gonna pray for you all. <laughs> I'm not gonna give you the option. <laughs> <clears throat> Father, I just thank you from the beginning of time. You put in motion Kinsman Redeemer. You put in those principles so that for generations, people have been looking for Kinsman Redeemer, the one that would come in and redeem all things. that you've been in pursuit of our hearts from the beginning. Because your heart, Father, is for everyone to have an understanding of who they are, what they have in them, to comprehend the birthright and the blessing. I thank You, God, that You would pull every person in this room and anyone watching online as well. God, that You would pull everyone onto the field that You are asking them to glean from in this season.
God, anyone tucked in on a field that is not of your doing, not of your calling, that has been pulled there in a place even of fear, we just ask God for your um, great wing to pull in those on other fields. And God, underneath that wing, I just ask, Father, that you continue to speak to our hearts, speak to the reality of who you are to us, speak to the reality of what you've put in each one of us to do. God, for the field that contains the gleaning of wisdom and understanding and counsel in this season. Would our eyes be alert? Would our gaze be up and in pursuit of where the harvest is, where the gleaning is meant to take place? May we be ever ready to move as You call us to move. I thank You, God, in this season we don't look to worldly wisdom. I thank You, God, in this season that each one of us would look to Your godly wisdom. would you cause us to be a Boaz, a type, a kinsman redeemer to others, to those that need to be embraced and redeemed in this season. We just thank you, God, for that anointing like Boaz to look and see the need of the orphans and the widows and those that are in need. Thank you for your protection in this season. We thank you for your refuge. And God, would you put a steadfastness in our hearts in pursuit of you so that we would be raised up as pillars in the temple of the Lord. also pray for the Joseph anointing. For those that need to catch it, we just thank you for the blueprints of heaven coming for the provision for this next season. Thank you, God. There's no luck in you. There's no scarcity in you. We thank You for the abundance that You're going to show us, for the provision of not just our own lives, but for those that are going to need it.
keep pursuing our hearts and we all keep pursuing yours. Feel free to linger or you can, so if it's officially closed, feel free to stay and linger a little bit longer if you need. Thanks, guys.